0: I hated her, but I wanted to love my mother. This is Serial Killing, a podcast. Hello again. My name is Alyssa Carroll, and welcome to Serial Killing, a podcast, where we sometimes veer off the serial killer path to delve into other topics within our beloved true crime community. Special thanks to some of my patrons. Walter, Jennifer, Ariel, Elise, Chantelle, Sonia, Dan, Linda, Teresa, my dear three Emmas, Jessica, Lady Janice, Elena, Alethea, John, Nanette, Rachel, Sophie, Whitney, David, Catherine, Trudy, and Stacy. Thank you so much, guys. You are truly appreciated. And for anyone else, please feel free to join my patron. Like, share, subscribe. It just might help our little community grow. And if you happen to watch on YouTube and also use Spotify, well consider watching on Spotify instead as they have been kind enough to sponsor me and we all know how YouTube treats us. But my podcasts are all written with a listener only in mind, so nothing is missed. This week's podcast will be sort of uh, playing a quick catch up on some cases we've discussed to see where they are at or if there have been any updates. This one has been highly requested for some time now. So, without further ado, let's get into it. I'm sure everyone has already seen the Netflix special on this, but you know, we've been waiting quite a while on the Lori Vallow, Chad Daybell trial. Quick reminder Lori had her brother Alex shoot and kill her husband, Charles Vallow. She then took the younger two of her three kids from Arizona the oldest already being grown and went to Idaho to be with the doomsday cultish, cult-esque leader, Chad Daybell. They had already been in cahoots, if you will. So once she got up there, having her henchman Alex come up there as well, she bought a wedding band with her dead husband's Amazon account and credit card, even though Chad still had his wife, Tammy. Now we don't know who or how Yet, but I suspect she had Alex kill her two children, then Chad's wife, Tammy, was shot at. Then later, she died under mysterious causes. Around two weeks after Tammy's death, Lori and Chad flew away to Hawaii and had this beautiful, intimate, small wedding on the beach in Kauai. Pictures of them dancing and playing the ukulele and smiling, such the happy new couple. Well, those pictures surfaced. Charles' sister and grandmother to the youngest child knew something was very wrong. She started calling authorities to find the two children, and eventually Lori was arrested because she refused to say where her kids were. Then they searched Chad's property and, boom, found the two kids in two shallow graves. Chad was then arrested. Oh, and I forgot to mention the day after they exhumed Tammy's body, suspecting foul play, Alex conveniently died. So with the interruption of Lori not being found fit to stand trial, she since has been, and they decided the two will have a joint trial. Now, the update is that, much to my utter sadness and disappointment, the judge has stated cameras will not be allowed in the courtroom, and actually, he barred video and photo coverage inside of the courtroom during the entire trial. Judge Stephen Boyce said, "...the court determines here in that continued visual coverage of this case poses a great risk to the fair administration of justice in this case and co-defendant Chad Daybell's companion case, which cases are joined for trial. Therefore, continued visual coverage will no longer be permitted." The court is very concerned that continued visual coverage of this case will impede the ability of the parties to select fair and unbiased jurors, end quote. However, there is a glimmer of hope, my friends. Audio recordings will still be allowed. The couple have been charged with murder, conspiracy and grand theft, and both have pleaded not guilty. If found guilty, they could face the death penalty. So go get your phones or open your calendar app. I'll wait. Okay, the trial is scheduled to begin on January 9th, 2023. Next, we have the Turpin siblings. If you've not listened to the podcast about this, I highly recommend you do so. I'll link it. The case is just awful. Two parents on the fringes of that quiverful movement, not too far removed from the Duggars, just south of me in Arkansas, moved nearly across the country, had a bushel of children, 13 to be exact, then proceeded to neglect and abuse them in ways you cannot imagine. Wouldn't let them bathe, but once a year. Tied them to their own beds, starved them, whipped them, horrible stuff. So one daughter found the courage to get out of the house, contact the police, and all were rescued. The parents were arrested and are in jail. Justice served, right? Nope, not even close. In fact, six of the 13 kids rescued back in 2018 have filed a lawsuit against Riverside County, California, as well as the private foster care agency that was supposed to protect them, stating they quote, suffered severe abuse and neglect for years in foster care after the rescue. These kids said they were victims of emotional, physical, and sexual abuse by a foster family they were placed with after being rescued from their parents. The kids also allege that the officials charged with overseeing their care failed to report the severe abuse and neglect after they were made aware of it. An attorney involved in the case said, quote, These children who were chained to their beds for a great majority of their life finally are free, and then the county places them with ChildNet and puts them in another position where they are further abused. End quote. In fact, the officials who were charged with those children's safety kept those poor children in the foster home for three fucking years, even after the children told them point blank about the abuse. They told the officials they were being subjected to severe abuse, including being hit in the face with sandals, pulling their hair, hitting them with a belt and hitting them in the head, being forced to eat their own vomit being forced to eat excessively, and the father, specifically, sexually abusing them, all of that. The foster parents have since been arrested and charged with multiple counts of abuse and neglect, but of course you know they pleaded not guilty. And get this, guys, hope you're sitting down. It was determined that the minor Turpin children were placed with this foster couple who were, quote, unfit. be foster parents because they had a prior history of abusing and neglecting children who had been placed in their care." And then the further abuse information was actively withheld from the authorities. Guys, so my question is, why were they still foster parents if they had a well-known history of this before? It blows my mind I am well aware that the foster care system is overwhelmed and they don't have enough families to place children. I wish, first of all, that parents would grow the fuck up and be good to their children so there wouldn't be such a need for the foster care system in the first place. And second, the vetting and checking on foster parents needs to be revamped, I think. And also, we desperately need more people to be foster parents that are good people, but I know that's easier said than done. So, moving on. The next update comes from my home state, and too close for comfort to my home if you ask me, the Cassidy Rainwater Case. A quick overview, if you will. 33-year-old Cassidy had a whole situation going on in her life and had kind of fallen on hard times, The short and skinny of her background is that she graduated from a school just south of Kansas City, had a child at 17 years old. The relationship didn't work out, and that child went to live with close friends. She apparently had another child at some point, and I never knew what happened with that one, but it wasn't with her, and she became homeless. She moved to Boulder, Colorado for a while, but eventually came back to central Missouri. So she ended up staying in a cabin on Moon Valley Road near Windyville, Missouri, which is just west of Lebanon, and was there during the later summer last year, 2021. Two men were living on the property. 58-year-old James Phelps lived in the cabin, and 56-year-old Timothy Norton, who is a truck driver, who would live in his semi on the property when he wasn't driving. Cassidy was supposedly sleeping in a loft area in the cabin. Okay, so these two men were bad news as it was. Criminal history, all that. So not too long after September of last year to be exact, she was living there. An anonymous tip came with the photo of Cassidy, half clothed and in a terrorized state was received to law enforcement. So the police went to see what's going on, and they noticed the loft area Cassidy had been staying in was stripped completely of anything she owned or would logically have there if she were staying there. When they asked James where she was, he said she had packed up and left in the middle of the night. Seven pictures of her nearly naked and being held in a cage they found in James's phone proved otherwise. They then questioned Timothy, the truck driver, about Cassidy being held in a cage on that property. Timothy eventually folded and admitted to helping James hold Cassidy down while James put a bag over her head, strangled her. Both men were arrested. Then while they were in the county jail, the cabin burned to the ground and the fire was allegedly intentionally lit They also discovered trip wires with homemade bombs on the property and were safely and successfully detonated. Both men were charged with murder, abandonment of a corpse, and kidnapping. They have pleaded not guilty, unsurprisingly. But what makes this case so horrible is that they found she had been dismembered. The police found parts of her flesh in a freezer with the date of July 24th written on them and the rest of her remains scattered on a nearby property that, get this, belonged to Cassidy's grandfather. And some of the photos they found on James's phone were of Cassidy tied to a gantry crane, which is used to process deer, her evisceration and dismemberment. So while the local news won't say it, the local gossip all around me says that they had her meat in that freezer for consumption, to eat, if you will. The next court appearance isn't until January 24th, 2023, so be looking for that. Now, I've had several of you ask for updates about the Lena Chapin case. This is also a case that happened not too far from me. It's a very long story, and I'll link that podcast in the notes, but it is suspected that her own mother killed her, or had her killed, because Lena had begun talking about how her mother had forced her to help dispose of her stepfather's remains while she was still a minor. Lena had had a young son when she disappeared. Her mother, as far as I could find, is currently living about... Oh, not quite two hours south of me and nothing additional has been done. So no updates there so far. Moving on. I've had some people ask me about updates on the Onision situation. His name is Greg Jackson, but I think he changed his name to James. Who knows? This is another very long story, and I did a podcast about it a few years ago, but basically he was being accused of grooming underage girls along with his wife, husband, non-binary partner. She's changed it some, so I mean no offense. I just don't know where she is at this point on that. He's also been accused of neglect when it comes to his own children. Investigative journalist Chris Hansen, who used to do the series To Catch a Predator, did a whole expose on Onision, and we watched Onision basically have a complete meltdown on his YouTube channel about it, and then it just went very quiet. So, what happened after? Well, he attempted to sue a lot of people that were covering the situation. YouTube permanently banned him from ever being monetized. I believe Patreon kicked him off as well. I saw some people talk about how he had created an OnlyFans, so... Well, you know I looked, and sure enough, he does have one. His profile pic is of him shirtless, clenching all of his torso muscles as hard as he can. And his background picture has him with his hands kind of pushing his shorts down, and you can make out the outline of his... appendage. Now, I'm not going to open an account and give him a dime of my money to see what's there, and quite frankly, you know, no thanks. I can see male anatomy anytime I want for free, but it's there, so he's making money that way. So it appears that he was trying to make his way back to YouTube, creating content for children. Yes, my friends, for children. But thankfully, people found out, sent the concerns to YouTube, and YouTube sent out a statement saying, quote, Wanted to let you know that Onision's made-for-kids content is no longer available on YouTube or YouTube Kids. Appreciate you flagging these concerns. End quote. Someone approached him for a photo and he spit on them, so there's that. But other than the kids' content that was caught, the only updates I found were on Twitter from his official Twitter account, where just five days ago, September 21st, as of this recording, he posted, quote, Passed a polygraph. Sarah apologized for raping him. Her lawyers confirmed she apologized. Police sided with Onision. Lawyers concluded Onision did nothing. FBI found Onision did nothing. Internet, let's continue to harass Onision, the rape victim. Ugh, he's adding YouTube, stating they removed him from their partnership program after he was a victim of rape. He tweeted that YouTube supports rapists and punishes victims and on and on, which is bullshit. I mean, his narcissism knows no bounds, I must say. So in other words, the update is that he's still on his bullshit. Nothing has changed, but he's not in jail. So there's that. Up next is another update that I was asked about, which is Dobby Vanity. This is again a podcast I did some years ago that I'll link in the notes. Don't come at me for the quality. That was a long time ago. But the backstory is that he was in the band Blood on the Dance Floor, and they were on Warp Tour. He had, you know, the big teased out emo hair of the very early 2000s, the MySpace days, all of that. He was in his mid-twenties when it became obvious that he was grooming underage girls. And by underage, I mean girls considered tweens, the ones just before being considered a teen, okay? So he would grab underage girls, bring them on stage, stand behind them, and bounce his groin on their butts. All that. So in 2019, a lot of girls and young women began coming forward stating he sexually assaulted or raped them. Most of them were minors. Former bandmates have described him as a sexual predator. Other musicians have come forward as well. Ash Costello from the band New Year's Day said that she had tried to bring attention to Davi's behavior for quite a while and she was silenced. She stated she had victims coming to her, telling her what he had done to them, and Ash took some evidence that she was given to the police, and nothing was done, of course. One victim stated he took her virginity when she was only 10 years old. Yes, 10. Davi was described as, quote, this dude is literally the scene version of R. Kelly, end quote. So what's going on now? Well, it appears that some of his fans have harassed one of the main victims in particular into retracting their allegations against him. And they did retract, but then went on to say, quote, I will say loudly, clearly, and without hesitation, Davy Vanity slash David Jesus Torres raped me. He is an abuser, sexually, emotionally, and physically. I am not afraid of the fan base he got to attack me till I recanted my statement when I was 11 or 12. I am no longer staying silent, not after so many young kids got hurt after me, End quote. Since then, 21 survivors, 16 of which were quite underage, have stepped forward stating that they were victims of him forcing them to satisfy him orally and being so aggressive about it that they, quote, struggled to breathe and their mouths bled, end quote. So then he got arrested and justice was served, right? Wrong. He is still a free man. He was never arrested. Now his music is allegedly not on Spotify, which is good because some of his music had lyrics that described ejaculating on women, humiliating women, and killing women, And let's not forget, most child predators will refer to these little girls as women to minimize their assault. That's actually very common. I read that Davi is attempting to rebrand under a new band called Kawaii Monster. He's now in his 30s, is publishing new music on the YouTube channel, The Most Vivid Nightmares. And guys, please don't give him the views. Just don't. And that's pretty much all the updates I have for you guys. I know that this is a shorter one, but I have four podcasts and hours of footage to edit for October because you know your girl filmed all four in one day. So tell me, what do you think about these cases? Leave a comment below. You can DM me on Instagram at serial underscore killing. All of my contact information is in the notes. But most importantly, thank you guys so much, truly. Because I know you could be listening to anyone else, but you chose me. And I really appreciate that. Thanks, guys. Have a great day.